And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, July 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law on this episode. We'll discuss the first of what will likely be a few trades for the Yankees. Andrew Benintendi will be in pinstripes by the time you hear this podcast. A few players going back to Kansas City as part of that deal. We have new potential sellers looming after recent skids from the Giants and Red Sox. That could make the starting pitching market a little more robust as the deadline approaches on Tuesday evening. And of course, we've got an update on Mike Trout, what's going on with his back. We'll talk about the, the long-term concerns there. Also, a Twitter question that we're going to dig into a little bit. What makes an organization really a great organization these days? What does it take to be as successful as a team like the Dodgers? Let's start with that Yankees trade, Keith. Ben intended to the Yankees. Clearly, outfield help was a need. Makes some sense in that regard. Three players going back the other way. Beckway. Chandler Champlain and TJ Sigma, not highly regarded prospects. He made those names up. Those aren't real players. They're MLB The Show players. Yeah. Where's Brief Warmth? That is an obscure Twitter joke. <laughs> brief Warmth. I think this is one of those things that this is kind of the normal ebb and flow of a trade deadline trade now. I think if you want quantity in most deals, if you're not talking about trading a star or one of the best starting pitchers available, you're trading someone who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season and you want mm-hmm. more than one player back. You're going to the lower levels of the minor leagues and you're playing this, hey, we kind of like these guys. There's something, there's one thing about them that we like. Let's bundle them up and see if we hit and find a major leaguer or two out of this group. So out of that trio, based on what you've seen and what you've heard from that group, who who actually stands out, if anyone? Beckway of the three, he's the one with a real chance, I think, to potentially be a starter in the right hands. I say that because obviously Kansas City's had some trouble recently turning guys who were clear starters into actual big league starters. I'm looking especially at Daniel Lynch, who has certainly stagnated, but Jackson Coar, Brady Singer, Jonathan Boland, just stuff really hasn't come back post Tommy John. They took three high school pitchers in the draft last year. All three of those guys, I think, have been disappointing in their first, just their first full year of Pro Bowl. It's early, but um, you know, I don't know that this is what, what they've been doing on the hitting side is pretty impressive. What they've been doing on the pitching side does have me worried, but I do think in the right hands, Beckway could be a starter for somebody. Uh, TJ Sigma dominating lower levels. It's not premium stuff. He does throw a lot of strikes. There's, you know, he has also not been healthy much in his career. Chandler Champlain, huge guy, clear reliever, 100% reliever for me. It's fine. It's not a great return. I don't know. It, it is it, – it, who knows what the other offers were for Ben Intendi. It did seem like there was a pretty good trade market for him. If this ends up, you know, three relievers, two relievers, and an okay starter for Kansas City, I think you're probably going to feel a little bit disappointed in the – you know, maybe you had a chance to get a little more upside in someone. Like, that's the thing. I don't look at this group and say, Way is the only guy where there's upside at all, where there's a chance that you're going to get more than you expected. There's a chance that he really turns into something more than, you know, he ends, he could end up a three starter in an absolute best case scenario. I don't know. To get that for Ben Intendi just seems a little light compared to, again, what I was expecting. And I, I, I wonder. If this was a case of the Royals saying, we need pitching, we just got to get pitching. And as a result, maybe getting a little less in return because they chose to focus on pitching rather than saying, well, and I don't know this for the fact, I'm inferring from the outside, but as opposed to saying, we're just going to take the best package of talent available, did they say, we're just going to take the best package of pitching available? And as a result, maybe end up with a little bit less than uh, the optimal return for Ben Intendi. We're getting a 
a different version of Benintendi. Career low strikeout rate this year, 13.3%. Mm-hmm. Only three home runs, which is odd. It's not just the ballpark. He does run yeah. a little bit, but getting on base a ton. A 387 OBP, also a career high. I think when Andrew Benintendi broke in with the Red Sox, there was an expectation that there might be one more level with power. Like mid-20s home run oh, power yeah. was a ceiling. Where has that been, and do you think the Yankees might be able to unlock that? I mean, the stadium certainly helps. Being a left-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium, everyone knows the short porch. That's very good. Mm-hmm. But could we actually see an uptick in power beyond just the park factors change with Benintendi in a two-plus-month stint with a different organization? Yeah, I don't know, right? That's The, the ballpark is probably going to make a huge difference uh, just because of what it does for left-handed hitters. I mean, who, who, who was it that was complaining about the ballpark earlier this year? Was it Girardi? Somebody called the ballpark a joke. And I'm like, okay, it, okay, it might be a little bit of one. Also, don't say that, right? There's things you can think and not say. Uh, you know, it's, I feel like a parent now explaining this, right? But other parents will understand. Yep, yep, that's a lesson. You definitely got to teach your kids. Like, you can, it's okay to think those things. Maybe just not actually say them out loud. I am absolutely in that camp that always thought there was going to be another gear of power for Ben Benintendi. I thought he'd be a 20 to 25 home run guy. He was a power guy in, in his breakout year, one breakout year for Arkansas when he won, I think he won the Golden Spikes Award, actually. And, uh, you know, this year he's kind of gone back to putting the ball on the ground a bit more. Um, I think that's really hurting the, the, you know, obviously it's putting the, hurting the power output. Um, you know, he does hit some line drives. He does make plenty of solid contact. The plate discipline is great. I would be very surprised if he couldn't get to, yeah, I guess we're only talking about, what, two months or so. I, you know, I feel like a good chance he hits a lot more than three home runs in those two months between the change of ballpark and maybe the change in organization. I said this, Kansas City has done a great job with getting guys to work better at bats. You know, maybe Benintendi's boost in OBP is part of that, Alex. Well, magic. But at the same time, like, Benintendi's a guy who's shown power whose swing should generate a little more power. I don't think it's a, a huge power swing. Um, you know, who's certainly strong enough, who's certainly shown he can hit the ball hard enough at times to get to some power. The fact that this is manifesting as three home runs, and it likes, I'm looking at his spray chart even. It's not like he's just missed a whole bunch either. I have a hard time reconciling that part. Right? He should be putting the ball in the seats or at least have a ton of doubles. To make up for that. I mean, like I said, maybe he goes to New York and a bunch of flyouts just suddenly turn into home runs. That wouldn't surprise me at all. That doesn't necessarily require a change in the player. I have a very hard time understanding why Ben Attendee is just hitting for absolutely no power at this point. I think as far as a team to acquire him, the Yankees do make a good bit of sense. They lead the league in home runs. They've hit 168 as a team so far this year. Getting someone who gets on base, plays good defense, and does everything else well, I think that gives them some balance in the lineup, right? They didn't have to go out and find another 30 home run guy. So this, this is a good fit from that perspective as well. As far as the Royals playing time gap, I think Kyle Isbell becomes even safer in terms of playing time. But once he's healthy, I think Edward Olivares can play on an everyday basis, too, because it'd be surprising to me if Michael Taylor isn't also moved to just a, a team to be a backup center fielder. Like, that seems like an almost certain sort of small trade that's coming at some point in the next few days. Yeah, I'd like to see Isbell. I think Isbell might be a platoon guy. I mean, he's been, you know, in, in not a very large sample this year. He obviously has not been very good. Uh, and he hasn't been, like, he's been better against right-handed pitchers as a left-handed hitter. He's not been acceptable against right-handed pitchers. However, I think if he got a chance to just play more over a longer period of time, I think he would be good enough to play as the strong side of a platoon in a, probably in an outfield corner. Um, like, I think there's some value there for the, especially for the Royals. You're in a position now where fine, we're trading away some veterans. Let's give Isbell's 25. Let's give him, you know, further. More of a look, more of an extended uh, or more extended playing time the rest of the season to, to evaluate if he can at least be that. Like, I don't think there's a lot of chance. He's never been very good against left-handed pitching. So I think that ship might have sailed. But if he can show he can do something against right-handed pitching, he's a, you know, a platoon player for them going forward. Maybe develop some value in trade for next year or the year after. Um, so it's, I mean, that's essentially what Kansas City should be doing, right? Guys like Michael Taylor and Ben Intendi, who are clearly not part of the future there, ship them out for the best return you can get, but also to make room for more players 
currently in the organization because they do. They've got some guys like Isbell who were, you know, never never elite prospects, but but a prospect. You know, and guys like, you know, play Melendez and play Prado and just give all those guys all the playing time you can to whether it's to evaluate them for whether they're keepers or not, essentially like Isbell or just for, you know, guys like Melendez or Prado. You know, they're keepers, you know, they're good prospects, but just give them the development time that they need. Right. Do you want to begin 2023 with an Isbell Olivares platoon or do you want those guys to be bench players? I think that's the question you're trying to answer with the playing time that you're giving those two guys in the next two months and change in Kansas City. I think there's a couple new potential sellers emerging here over the last couple of weeks coming out of the break. The Giants have fallen quite a bit. And I look at this team as one that, you know, overachieved last year. And I've wondered pretty openly on this podcast throughout the season if they were going to find a way and recapture some of that magic, hang around at least in the wild card race. It looks like the answer to that is a resounding no. They're three and seven in their last 10 entering play on Thursday falling pretty far even behind the Padres now. It's 48 and 50. I could see Carlos Rodon getting moved, Keith, because he's got mm-hmm. an opt-out. It was a two-year, $44 million contract that he signed back during the winter. If pitch as well as he's pitched so far this season, you have every intention of going back to free agency and getting a longer, larger deal. As a result of that, I think the Giants pretty logically have to put him out there because after Luis Castillo, I think you're at least looking at Rodon as probably the best rental pitcher that you could trade for, most impactful rental starting pitcher you could trade for. Sure. And, you know, Rodon is a, obviously with his very checkered health history, it's it's a now thing, right? You're 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 betting on you Rodon is not somebody I personally would want to bet on staying healthy for three years, five years, whatever. But he's been healthy so far this year and effective and would I take him for two months? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So and if you're the Giants, you know, last year was amazing. I think most people would say, you know, I think the Giants could easily return to contention as soon as next year, but Rodon is a part of that, right? So if you're flipping, you know, maybe they're not sellers in the sense of some of these other clubs which trade everything. You know, maybe the Giants are just not anybody who's not here, who's not under contract for 23 is available. That would make a good bit more sense to me. And it's just, it's simply just whatever you get, whatever the best return is, rather than, you know, if the Royals did what I, what I am inferring that they did, which is saying, we just need pitching. Instead, if this is a, no, 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 we, we're just, these players are not returning. They're not going to be part of our 23 roster. And therefore we will take whatever the return is. We'll just be happy to get that. That's absolutely what they should do. I'd be curious to see if the Giants end up calling up Kyle Harrison at some point. The only double A who's in the Futures game, if you, if you were one of the 12 people in America who saw the Futures game, um, you got a glimpse. I mean, Ka- Harrison's best pitching, best left-handed pitching prospect in the minors right now. He doesn't have to go in the 40-man yet, but he's certainly very interested to see what he would do in the majors. I don't think there's a whole lot left for this guy to learn in the minors. I think he's going to – if they send him to AAA, granted, it's a pretty bad pitching environment there in the PCL, but I think he's going to still miss a ton of bats. Do you just say, you know, we want Kyle Harrison in the rotation for next year. Let's call him up and give him a couple starts in September. I don't know. Like there are good business reasons not to make that call. I think the baseball argument is actually, yeah, if you're going to trade Radon and what, who Discofani's out for the year, right? You've got, you've got the starts to hand out. Give him to Harrison and see what you get. Yeah, I think it gives you a better sense of where he's at for next year because I don't yeah. look at the Giants and say they're tearing it down and it's going to be three no. years before they're good again. It's just they're playing the middle right now. When you play the middle, sometimes you fall a little short. You trade the guys that you aren't going to have in the future and get ready for next season. So I think that would make quite a bit of sense. The other thing about the Giants here, I mean, Alex Cobb could be traded. He's another yep. rental pitcher. Teams just need innings. Uh, you look at Jock Peterson, right? You want to win the World Series? Trade for Jock Peterson. Yeah, right? He seems to do that a lot. Yeah. Could be three in yeah. a row for him. So I think yeah. your your immediate reaction if they trade Jock Peterson is to get your World Series futures in because clearly whoever trades for Jock Peterson will win the title. But uh, it's not going to be a windfall for most of the players they're trading away because they are not built with a lot of long-term players they're going to trade. Their core is, mm-hmm. is pretty simple at the present time. Also love that we woke up Joey Bart, I think, since you and I last spoke about him. Oh, did we? Yeah, yeah. he's been hitting. We've been doing that pretty effectively throughout this season. So if you have uh, suggestions, we'll take requests. Yeah, yes. send them on Twitter. We're happy to yeah, sure. try and help. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We move on to the Red Sox, another team that probably ends up moving some players and has more to move than San Francisco, at least more interesting big name type players, right? Yeah, on the if pitching they're willing side, to. Pitching side is Nathan Evaldi as the, the best pitcher of the bunch. I think Rich Hill is another one you could say, OK, Rich Hill gets traded to a contender and chews up some innings, at least between now and the start of the playoffs. Then maybe once the playoff rotation is formed, maybe he falls just short, depending on on where he goes. But Evaldi would bring back a little something interesting. And I would say J.D. Martinez could still bring back something interesting. What, what did they say? Willing to entertain offers on him? I don't know. I guess maybe you should always be willing to entertain offers on player. I, I'll always listen, right? I don't have to take it. Uh, I'm just always willing to willing to hear it. But then, you know, also he is a 34-year-old DH who looks like he might be sliding a bit. And, um, you know, they're both, both he and Ivaldi as rental players who are having kind of off years anyway. What are you keeping them for? I mean, I guess the bigger thing is, right, the Red Sox deciding to sell. That's really what the news is, right? The Red Sox going through this really awful stretch where apparently they just couldn't catch a ball in addition to various other problems that they had. Um, that's often not an easy decision to make, especially when you're in a city, obviously, where you're expected to win pretty much every year and where ownership, I think, expects you to win or be competitive pretty much every year. But this is pretty, this is also clearly the right choice for them. I don't know that there's a lot of return for Martinez. An aging DH, there's probably a few teams that could use the bat, but your flexibility is so limited. And he's clearly not the hitter he was even a year ago, let alone two, three years ago. Ovaldi is a little more interesting to me because it's basically all the home runs. He's given up more home runs this year than he did all of last year in more than twice the innings. And I always want to, I see that obviously Major League Baseball not helping but constantly screwing with the baseballs and then denying that they're doing this. But you know, is that fluky? Could he, is he really going to be a guy who gives up another 15 home runs the rest of this season? Or is that just, you know, and it could be actually something specific that he's doing differently? Or is it a little bit of bad luck? Because the rest of the stat line looks pretty Nathan Ovaldi-ish, right? A little more contact than you'd want, but doesn't really walk anybody, does miss enough bats, capable mid-rotation starter. And more than anything, right, he's been completely healthy for a year and a half, which has never been, I guess he was actually healthy back into 2019, um, which is amazing given his history. But, you know, if you're looking for a guy who could just make 10 starts for you and take the ball a couple of times in October... Who's clearly better? Who's available in the trade market? He's at least in that cluster, right? Mm-hmm. That group of of starters. You know, we're assuming Shahetani isn't available. I will be surprised if he gets moved, even though we've talked about the case for the Angels doing that on an episode in the last month or so. I mean, I think mm-hmm. everyone wants Luis Castillo. Unfortunately, there's only one Luis Castillo to go around. Good news if you yes. trade for him, you get him next year too. So that's yeah, that's and great. he's better. Yeah. He's better than Avaldi. Just right. Just so no, we don't get emails. Right, but if you if you kind of if you rank Castillo first because of talent and the extra year, extra and you've got year, yes. Rodon and Evaldi kind of right there next to him. I mean, you could probably if if Montas is healthy, the extra year of Montas probably sneaks him ahead of Rodon and Evaldi as well. But all four of those guys can be impactful for a lot of contending teams. And I think that's a lot better than things looked for the starting pitching market just a few weeks ago. So I think this is one of the the benefits, if you will, to the Red Sox mm-hmm. sliding. It's a benefit unless you're a Red Sox fan, then you're probably pretty upset. Yeah, I don't think they're enjoying it. No, I don't think so either. You know, just as we're on the Red Sox, too, like it sounds like they won't consider dealing Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers, which, not disputing... The decision, but I do think that is certainly an interesting one. Is you know what, you know, Bogart says what three year? I guess four if you count the vesting option. Yeah, four years left. But you know they have. I mean, they have infield depth coming too. They could make that argument that you know we got guys coming. We can try to replace these guys. But I mean, they're they're both stars. Actually, Devers has turned out to be the better better player at this point. They're both great. 
Um, but interesting to me that they would probably, that they're saying at least that they're not willing to trade those guys. Devers, what, Devers has a year left before free agency. Bogarts has three, possibly four with the vesting option, but he's kind of underpaid also. Got knocked out after this season, which I think is a big part of, of where some of those questions were first coming from. Sure. I think the question would be, if you're the Red Sox, Bogarts is 29, he'll turn 30, first day of October. If he opts out, do you want to tack two or three more years onto the deal? And um, you're going to have to up the AAV, most likely, right? You're not going to, lot, you're not going to get I him think. at $20 million a year. He's a, no, he's a $30 million player, not a $20 million player. I mean, they got a great deal. And, and you know, obviously, the, I'm sure the player was happy at the time. But in hindsight, right, Bogarts has become a star um, and is not quite paid like – I know it's strange to say, but $20 million is a very good salary, obviously. But in baseball terms – not what he's worth. Yeah, we're com- we're comparing ball players to ball players, not ball right. players to podcasters and teachers. And you don't make twenty million? Not quite. A little short. You need to talk to your agent, Derek. I know. Should probably talk to your agent. <laughs> Xander Bogarts, though, long term. Do you want to make that commitment to him at age thirty? I mean, if you're in the Red Sox position, you just signed Trevor Story to a long term deal. Like they're they're kind of in this. They're not rebuilding. They're a little more like the Giants in terms of the. They're never really going to tear it down and not compete, right? You wouldn't expect that. But they're a little further along in terms of the core players they have right now. If it shouldn't come down to this, but if they're looking at this as a, we can only actually extend one of Devers or Bogarts, who would you extend? The age difference, I think, makes me a lot more inclined to give the big contract to Devers. But I I can see the case for Bogarts here. Yeah, I could see the case for both guys too. I, I I tend to agree with you. And and Frank, when I had them as I think I had a year where they were both top ten prospects, or maybe it was consecutive years. So I have a long history of seeing good things about both of these players. But I'm pretty sure I always had Bogart's higher because honestly, more than anything else, because defensively I thought he was gonna stay in the middle of the field. I thought he had a chance to stay at shortstop. Yes, obviously been able to play shortstop. Um but given was he four years older? You know, is and Bogarts has not been a great defensive shortstop. He certainly had years, at least, where he has not been as good of a defensive shortstop. You know, would I feel better about the next? I, I guess if it's, it really depends if it's apples to apples in terms of years. But let's say if you're talking about the next six years of Devers' career versus the next six years of Bogarts, I'm taking Devers. I, I agree. I think he's likely to hold his value better. And I do worry that at some point in the, you know, in it, over the course of a six-year deal, Bogarts is not playing shortstop anymore at some point. No one knows. I could never say exactly when, but I would bet he's not finishing that deal as a shortstop. And that's going to impact his value. When Devers was younger, there were, there were already concerns that he wasn't going to stay at third base even as long as he yes, has. Yes, there were. Right? He's lasted Absolutely. longer on the, the left side of the infield than some people expected. Because he's a big guy. I mean, obviously, every, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what he looks like. But even as a kid, when he was 20 in the minors, or I think I was, he was 20 when he got called up, like, he was a big kid. And it was understandable. My belief, and I, I am as guilty as, you know, I always thought like Carlos Correa was going to outgrow shortstop. I still think O'Neill Cruz, that's more his height than his girth, will end up somewhere other than shortstop. Devers, I always thought, guy moves pretty well for a big, big kid. And he still does. He's never going to be great defensively at third, but he has managed to he, – he's like a deceptively good athlete. We were talking about TJ Sekimo. I was talking to a scout about Sekimo was one of the three pitchers going back to Kansas City in that Benintendi trade. Sekimo is not a bad athlete. He is not well-conditioned, shall we say, but he is not a bad athlete. You look at him and think, that guy's not an athlete. How could you have a physique like that and not be an athlete? Devers moves – Pretty well for a guy of his size. That's why I gave him a chance to potentially stay at third. And I think, you know, I think he has lived up to that. Obviously, his bat is going to play at any position. It's just a lot more valuable if he's able to stay at third. Now, if you're, you know, this is the the point with the point that you were making about the relative age, right? We're talking about each player at 35. I don't think either of those players is at their current positions when they're 35. The problem is the six-year deal for Bogarts includes his age 35 season. A six-year deal for Devers doesn't, only includes peak years, most likely. And so that's a huge difference. And I mean, I would pay more for Devers on an AAV in addition to feeling more comfortable giving him the same length of deal. It's possible that they could have both. Uh, I'm not, not saying they can't have both. They run high payrolls. They're a huge market. They can do it if they want to. I just don't know if they everybody. will. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Nobody's crying for the Red Sox owners. 
No. Wasn't that last year, right? They were to write something about the luxury tax threshold. You can afford it. You're going to be all right. Oh, my God. Yes. Just go for yeah, it. Yeah, don't buy that third European soccer team. It's got to be a really fun part of being that rich, buying multiple European soccer right? teams. What do you want to do today? I want to buy a soccer team. Okay. Seems like a nice little Thursday. Do you order those online or do you actually have to go to the store? The European ones, you got to go in person. Nice showroom. It's kind of like an art gallery. Oh, okay. That's good. That's what I'm told. Give, I've never seen one. Give you a glass one. of champagne. Yes. And which premier club would you like, sir? Let's talk about Mike Trout for just a few minutes. The The reaction to the news on Mike Trout was the sky is falling. And he's been diagnosed with a rare back injury. Rare is the description I believe used by the doctor. Never good. To be clear, this is not good. I just felt like this is the kind of thing where you look at it and say, okay, we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. Rare tends to mean unprecedented, at least in the case of a baseball player dealing with this injury. So how he manages this injury, what the Angels are able to do with his workload, even down the stretch this year, that could actually mislead us a little bit in terms of how bad this actually is. The Angels are bad again. They have Mike Trout signed to a very long-term deal. His long-term health actually does matter to them. So if he doesn't play another game this season, I understand that panic is going to soar going through the winter. If he comes back and plays almost every day, I think that will calm people down a little bit, even if that's not sure. necessarily the, the best possible thing here. But I look at the injuries that Trout has had, and it's been more of, of other stuff. It hasn't been the back time and time again. This is a relatively new thing, and it almost sounds more similar to like a thoracic outlet sort of problem. It's being described as costovertebral dysfunction, which I've never actually seen listed for an athlete before. I've covered sports for 15 years, and I don't remember ever seeing that description. It's never so good. It is rare in that regard. What's the benefit of panicking right now? We just have to wait for more information here, don't we? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Well, there's never a benefit to panicking, right? It's less panicking and more if you are in the Angels front office, ignoring for the fact that the owner's bonkers and not going to necessarily let you do the right thing. But don't you sit there and think, hey, if there's some chance, look, Mike Trout's not back this year. We may not have 100% of Mike Trout next year. I don't think you can do anything to plan if Mike Trout misses much of next year. If Mike Trout's back injury turns out to be career altering, that's a whole set. You don't. There's no planning for that. You set that aside. But if you're thinking, we might only get 75% of Mike Trout next year, whether it's playing time or reduced production, whatever. What the heck are you doing keeping Shohei Otani? I'm sorry, I don't mean to like derail us and have us back on this conversation again. But I think you have to look and say, wait a minute. If we don't have Trout next year, we have zero chance of winning. There is no scenario where that team wins a significant number of games enough to really, you know, get into the playoffs and, and have a snowball's chance in October without a lot of Mike Trout. Maybe it's not 100% of Mike Trout, but you need a lot of Mike Trout. And if you think we're only getting 75%, or if your doctors are saying, hey, there's a 50-50 chance that he misses much of the year, however it is, you got to plan that you should be planning accordingly, accordingly and say, wait a minute, we might have to rethink the 2023 strategy. Again, recognizing ownership may not say that. Ownership might say, I don't care. Go put a winner together, which seems to be that's what owners been saying. ownership has been saying for about six years now, at least. Yeah. I agree with you. We've talked about the Shohei Otani scenario a few times, and this would be the, the unfortunate big thing that changed within the organization that really tells you, yeah, it's not going to happen in 2023. Yep. So you, you do the thing that makes your organization a lot better in the long run. Part of the reason why the Angels are in this spot yet again is mm-hmm. their failure on other levels, right? I mean, a great organization has a lot more talent coming through its system. That's just the way it works. Yep. The Dodgers are a great example of this. The Yankees do a good job with this. And especially as a big market team, there's no excuse. If you're going to spend a $200 million plus total on payroll every year, you're clearly spending money on things. So right. Why not spend it at other levels of the organization instead of cutting corners, right? So that Twitter question I alluded to a little bit earlier was basically, well, how do the Dodgers do it? How do they do it? How do they, how do they take a fourth-round pitcher that nobody else was that excited about 
and turn him into a top 100 prospect? How do they do that more often <laughs> than most teams? And I guess, you know, what types of things should the Angels re- realistically be investing in to help close that gap? Because I think part of how they become a successful organization is finding ways to develop players more consistently, to build a team around the stars that they go out and pay for. They should just go hire a bunch of people from the Dodgers, obviously. Step one. Yeah, right? Or just go over and steal whatever, you know, is it different mud from a different river other than the Delaware they're putting on the base? Maybe they rub the mud on the players. That's probably what it is. Uh, Justin Turner. They always forget to clean off Justin Turner's shoulder. You can see it on his shoulder. It's the evidence. We've been looking for that for a long time. How do they do it? It's the mud, Keith. You saw that. It's the mud. It's the mud. Somebody asked me on Twitter basically this question, and I said, it's not just one thing. It's really not. Like if you're looking at the secret of the Dodgers' success, to a somewhat lesser extent, but not dissimilar, the Rays. And obviously they have the shared DNA of Andrew Friedman, built that Rays organization, and then went to the Dodgers and basically did the same thing. Um, It is a combination of the right people and a lot of people too. Those are two groups that – two teams that employ large R&D departments and a lot of scouts. And – that have created a very consistent, coherent operating philosophy across all of baseball ops, of, from scouting and all the different areas of scouting, including pro scouting. Those two teams do still have a lot of pro scouts, to, uh, and that includes international and draft, to player development, which is connected to the big league club. And this is something I think you know, Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zaidi, who also both have roots in the Dodgers, have been trying to do um, – with the Giants as well. And I think give the Giants another year or two and they'll, 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 they'll get there. They're going to end up one of those clubs that's operating like that. But I think that's the, there are very specific things that the Dodgers are doing with hitters. I think they're really good at the launch acts, launch angle optimization stuff. They have a much better track record. Lots of teams try to do that. They have a better track record of successes. Um, and I think fewer notable failures, obviously it's a little bias and there's some selection bias. We don't hear about the failures so much. But, you know, they've taken guys like Max Muncy and Chris Taylor and Will Smith. Um, and there are other guys in the minors they're trying to do this with. And, you know, they're very good at doing that. I think they have the right personnel for making mechanical changes with players. Obviously, their messaging is also good because they seem to be able to get a lot of players to buy in. I can think of only one really notable example. That's Jaron Kendall, um, who's been kind of notoriously resistant to making swing adjustments going back to college also. Of, of someone the Dodgers really tried to do some swing work with to help and where the player just didn't buy in. It, but it seems to be an environment where they're getting put, every, everyone is buying it right down to the player. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of things that they do really well. They do specific things well in amateur scouting too. They're clearly targeting things that I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. There are things they're targeting, especially in amateur pitchers. That seem to allow a lot, a lot of guys come into the system and get better pretty quickly. Um, you know, sometimes to the point of throwing several miles an hour harder within a few months of being drafted. So there, there's a lot that they're doing right. And I do think actually, if I, if you gave me a major league team uh, to and said your GM, president of baseball ops, whatever, you know, one thing I would try to do. Obviously, I know lots of people. Uh, myself that I, you know, would say I want to hire this person, this person, people I trust, whose opinions I really respect. But I'd also think, who are the best run organizations? What organizations do the best job at scouting, player development across the board? And are there people I can poach who bring those skill sets and also the institutional knowledge? I mean, this is what happens in the business world all the time. I'm always surprised we don't see it happen more in baseball. Or sometimes we see it, it's like, well, I'm just going to hire this GM from this place and he's going to bring all the ideas. That might be true, but often it's the people, like the rank and file folks who have the real knowledge that you want to to steal. And I think the Dodgers have a lot of that. And frankly, if I'm the Dodgers or the Rays, I'm like, anytime somebody comes after one of my people, I'm like, hey, you can talk to this other club. Here's another $20,000 a year. It's uh, it's so easy, I think, for the biggest market teams to just make those over-the-top offers, though, because eventually yeah. teams like the Rays are like, hey, we really appreciate everything you've done. Good luck. And they right? Just, they, we just can't. They can't go out won't. and find more. I, it's, I think it's a little more won't than can't, but it does seem like the area where they yeah. they spend a little bit more, or at least they have more, more resources volume-wise going into those departments than most other teams their size. So it's not the mud. It's not fairy dust. I mean, do you think about – 
Andrew Heaney. This is a great example just of a yeah. player with the Angels for a long time. Not a bad pitcher, but inconsistent. He ran an ERA over four, I think, every single year he was an Angel after 2015, which is strange. Strikeout printing yeah. stuff from the left side. Goes to the Dodgers, signs almost immediately in free agency. And that's how you know there's something, right? When I think it was was it Charlie Morton a few years back made that really quick decision to sign with the Astros. You you have this like immediate free agency begins, player darts to a team. It's like, oh, something's going on there. They they see something they really believe in. They want to get a deal done right away and make sure they brought this player in. I think that's a little bit of what happened with Heaney and some of his comments after signing too gave you the idea that there was a pretty clear plan that the Dodgers already had for him that they presented prior to signing him that mm-hmm. got him on board on a one-year deal. I realize he's been hurt this year. We've only seen him make a handful of starts. He's healthy right now. It's four starts, but it's been a very good four starts for him so far. More swinging mm-hmm. strikes we've ever seen. I'm curious to see how that plays out over the next two months and possibly into the postseason if he can stay healthy because this might be the best version of Andrew Heaney we've ever seen at age 31 after more than a half decade in the Angels organization. Yep. I think I even wrote Heaney was did I specifically say he was going to go to the Dodgers? It just said he was like he was a good free agent for one of those teams that has some success you know kind of rehab is the wrong word because it implies injury but sort of cleaning up help giving delivery help to Starters like that who've always had ability. Um, you know, Heaney, of course, went to the Yankees last year and was just disastrous. But I don't think that was at all an indicator of who he really is was as a pitcher. Um, when you know you can do that as an organization, it just creates so many more opportunities for you to in free agency, in trades, and in the draft. You know, you can be in the fourth, fifth round and find, you know, the Dodgers had the one Nick Nestrini fourth round last year out of UCLA early in the season was, I think, walking a man in inning. And even his season, his entire season line was not very good. But the Dodgers saw some delivery and stuff characteristics that they really liked. They stayed on him kind of deeper into the spring, I think, than some other clubs thought they saw improvements, enough improvements in command and control later in the season. But most importantly, it was we can help this guy. If you believe that your organization has the comp, that's a core competence for you to help. It doesn't have to be all types of players. It can just be pitchers who do this, hitters who do this. We do, we know we can do that. We have success doing that. It creates way more opportunities for you basically everywhere, right? Amateur scouting, pro scouting, free agency, even to a somewhat lesser extent, international free agency. Um, you can just your universe of potential players expands. Now you can be one of those clubs that's just like we're just going to take the best players and assume we can help. You know, you're not necessarily closing them off, but you end up with a lot of you're going to end up with a lot of bad investments, basically. You know, giving a lot of money to players who might have done better in another organization, but who you can't help. You know, I think the bit and not to oversimplify, but if you. You either run an organization like the way the Dodgers and the Rays do. Here are things we do really well. We target players we can help. Um, or you can be that sort of other type. Where we're, we're just going to go get the best players and hope that, you know, we can, you know, some of them will just work out on their own. That we can help some of them, but we don't really focus necessarily on certain types of players where we know we have this core competence. I, I would lean towards the first, right? Figure out what you're good at and then lean into that as much as possible. And then also I'd say, hey, we're not really good at helping player archetype x let's fix that too right let's find someone who does do that right. or someone for an organization that person. does that and yep. try and fix that blind spot because that would open up that extra path for us to find players that can actually help us are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator one more great product from linkedin you're there to network you're there to look for jobs you're there to post jobs And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Guardians do this really well with pitching too. Like I, this is this is an oh organization that similar yes. to the Rays, just in terms of how they spend at the higher level. Spend they do spend more. I pointed this out on the three O show yesterday. When they were really good a few years ago, they were running nine figure payrolls for a little while. So yep. they become this sneaky team at the trade deadline because if they're willing to spend a little bit, take some salary back on, they could actually make their team quite a bit better. Uh, but mm-hmm. the the secret or the the key to their success has been good pitching development and you know, they lost Ruben Diabla to San Diego in the off season. Mm-hmm. It's not always one person, you know, one, if one person is running everything, there's a team of people working with them. So it doesn't yep. mean that everything falls apart when one person leaves. Uh, so I'm curious to see if they continue to have that same sort of success so far. So good. Tristan McKenzie went through a bit of a, a rough patch earlier this year, Keith, but kind of came out of it. Okay. And I think yeah. the bigger question with McKenzie has always been, what happens in August or September in a full season? You know, he seems like the kind of guy that starts the season as one of the lightest starting pitchers in the big leagues, like physically mm-hmm. lightest, <laughs> steps yeah. on a scale, sees the smallest possible number for a starting pitcher, and then like loses weight over the course of the season, like has a hard time like holding on to that. Pitching really, really well right now, really important for them, I think, to find more starters because do you look at guys like Daniel Espino? And the other prospects they've got there. I mean, I know they've lost. Uh, Cody Morris had a shoulder injury. Otherwise, I think he would have had a chance to pitch for them this year. I mean, they've got three pitchers who are all top 50 prospects in baseball for me. Gavin Williams, mm-hmm. Danny Espino, who's just been hurt with a knee injury. We're, we're, you know, everyone's hoping he comes back fine. I mean, he'd have an argument to be the top right-handed pitching prospect in baseball if he was 100% healthy. And Tanner Bibby, who I've mentioned a couple of times um, in chats or in a scouting notebook where he's gone up something like seven miles an hour Oof. since he signed a year ago. He's hitting 99 now as a starter. And he was always a command guy to begin with. It's like, was this Bieber 2.0? Yeah. Another guy with a similar last name drafted out of a California college too. What the heck are they? Their track record of doing this with pitchers is unbelievable, right? It's Bieber You'd argue it's Kluber. Kluber was picked up in a minor forgettable trade. So small in a trade, I didn't even write the trade up when I was still working at my previous employer. Um, Clevenger, Savale, Plezak. They've taken a lot of guys who were not high draft picks, not super highly touted, and made them better. That's, and that, you know, plus the guys we're talking about now. Gavin Williams was pretty good when they drafted him, but he's still gotten better. Bibby has gotten way better. Espino, really kind of raw. High school arm strength guy. Now complete pitcher. People talk, scouts tell me they think he could be a number one starter. That's not a coincidence when this happens over a period of 10 years. There's probably at least 10 pitchers who they've helped like that to become big league starters. Yeah, it's funny that Tanner Bibby also has the similar sounding name to Bieber with that profile. That's a massive increase in velocity, though. Oh, my God. I mean, it's almost a little scary. I do get worried when guys do that so fast. They don't all blow out. Um, and I mean, there's no 100% predictor of, of elbow surgeries. I, I don't love it when guys go up that fast, but I also have to recognize, hey, this guy with this command and that stuff is like a number two starter for a guy who was, I think, a fifth round pick a year ago. Nobody was talking about him like that. It's like, hey, he's a command control guy. Stuff is just kind of average. Maybe a fifth starter. Totally different guy now. Give the, right? That's on the, t- and the player too, but they're clearly doing some things over there at the Guardians that, that, they are able to not just increase velocity, increase velocity 
in a way that does not cost these pitchers command and control, which is really impressive. Because I can show you lots of guys around baseball thrown a lot harder now. Can't figure out what's going on. Cole Franklin. What's wrong with Cole Franklin for the Cubs? I mean, he's got number one starter stuff. And it's the command is gone. And he was a command guy before. And I think he hasn't figured out how to – right now I'm throwing – oh, my God, I'm throwing so much harder. But he hasn't figured out how to, how to command or even control it. Whereas the Guardians seem to be able to do this with a lot of their guys where they don't lose any of that along the way. That's pretty – it's incredibly impressive to me as an outsider. It puts them in this really good position of going out to get whatever they want at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. They're only a couple games behind the Twins. There are spots you look at on this team and you say, okay, Fran Mil Reyes hasn't been good as the DH. You can upgrade there. Uh, you want to get a big-time catcher? You want to be the team that goes and gets Wilson Contreras? You could justify that and make Austin Hedges the backup, play Contreras more. That makes your offense better. No problem mm-hmm. with a move like that. You want to get one more power-hitting outfielder and play Miles Straw a bit less. Great defender. They have just have so many flexible ways to do it. And they would still have a lot of prospects left. I think that's what makes them pretty scary. Weird team because they don't strike out a lot and they have almost no power as a group. Yeah. Second to last in home runs in the big league so far this year. But if you're trying to upgrade this team, which spot do you choose? What's your biggest priority if you're calling the shots in Cleveland right now? They've had some pretty nice you know, steps forward this year, too, where somebody commented to me, God, I forgot what the scout was. He was talking about Josh Naylor and how long it kind of took Josh Naylor to turn into um, you know, somebody who is a capable everyday player when healthy. He's actually having a really nice breakout year when he's been able to play so far. And it's like finally becoming the player that we thought he was going to be. Um, God, four or three. I think I had him as a breakout player last year. Then he got hurt. But he was a first rounder, what, six years ago, seven years ago? Um, you know, I know they're very invested in Miles Straw in center field. It obviously provides a lot of value with his glove. I've never thought he was going to be able to hit enough to play regularly. They could certainly use some help at DH. They've gotten a nice boost from Nolan Jones so far. He's actually hit much better in his cup of coffee than I anticipated. Obviously, you want to continue to let him play um, as much as possible. Um, I mean, those seem like some of the more obvious, you know, they've gotten, if Naylor is able to just, you know, if you feel like healthy, he's your first base solution for much of the rest of the way. I would rather just do that. I've never thought he was that great of a defensive outfielder. Um, I could play him the rest of the way at first base and which is where he's played the majority of his vast majority of his games this year anyway, be happy with that. But then you've probably got a hole in, you know, probably got two outfield spots you want to try to fill. It's funny. Andrew Benintendi would have been kind of a nice fit there, huh? As I'm rambling, I realize this. If they wanted to lean into the, we're not going to strike out, we're just going to put a ton of balls in play, and we're just going to be a pain on opposing teams, I think You're saying he doesn't have the power. I think they want power. Yeah. They've only three guys with 10 home runs so far. I think if you said you can get two players, and you're not going to go out and get Juan Soto. We talked about that a bit yesterday. They have the prospects to do it. Yeah, they do. They actually do. There's no chance. Let's assume they're not going to do that. That's not happening. It'd be pretty awesome, by the way, if they did. That would be awesome. I would think that's a fun outcome because every, oh my you know, god, yes. they're not a Death Star, so it would be it'd be great. <laughs> the upgrades I think should be Contreras behind the plate. That's great. Yeah, perfect fit. Jock Peterson's a great fit here. Yeah, he's a lefty power bat. Yep, not a great defender. So you want to take him out of the game seventh eighth inning? Throw Quan out there. Yep. Straw, they shift things around. He can DH, DH him. some. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I think Wilson Contreras and Jock Peterson are two players that are rental players, would not cost you much of the anything from the top mm-hmm. end prospects in your system. I think that's where you want to go if, if you're Cleveland. If you can only get two, I think maybe a little more starting pitching depth would be the other thing I'd want. I don't think it's a bad idea. Maybe they could actually be the team that sneaks in for Luis Castillo. Not a rental. They got a little bit of payroll room. Helps them next year, even though they develop pitching really well. Think about that rotation with if it were Bieber, Castillo, McKenzie, Plesak, Savali, Quantrill, however you want to order the back end guys. Mm-hmm. That gives you a lot more confidence in that group in a playoff series when you shorten up than yep. the group you've got right now. So I think that's the the big play. Yeah, you're right about catcher, by the way. I just, for whatever reason, like looked right past that. But yes, absolutely a black hole for them offensively. Uh, and and Contreras, we know Contreras is available. They basically said goodbye to him on the field the other night. They so. had a ceremony. They had a hug ceremony. Right? Yes, right? It's incredible. Okay, but you're not actually traded yet, but thanks thanks so much. Good good job. It was very – it's a little weird. Somebody called – it was it Calcaterra? Somebody called out how weird that was. Like, okay. I get, all right. Sure. Sure. But yes, available and very good player. So those are my moves for Cleveland because um, 
I like it. We we put the Juan Soto fever dream out there for the Guardians on Thursday, and I think that's unfair. There's only one Juan Soto to go around, so a lot of people are going to be disappointed. I wish we would see. I mean, we have seen that, right? Oakland's pulled moves like that before. Yeah. Right? Trading prospects for a short-term player to get a big boost. Like, it's not out of the question, but we don't see as many of those. I do think it's super fun when some – it's not even just small market, large market. It's just unexpected. Wait, who traded for what? Those are fun. Love those kinds of trades. That's that's what makes this time of year the best for just having fun with it. You can dream on the potential yep. of any team, especially when they've got prospects like that. Love the Guardians' A bullpen, too. Emmanuel Classe, Eli Morgan, another guy they developed that he doesn't throw 95-96, but he's become a really good reliever for them. Yep. Trevor Steffen, now James Karinchak is back, too. So pretty filthy bullpen protecting yep. those leads. We need to go. If you want to keep up with everything happening around the trade deadline, we've got it covered at the Athletic, theathletic.com slash baseball show. Gets you in the door for a dollar a month for the first six months. As trades happen, Keith, you're breaking them down, right? Uh, I am. I actually am, have been like half writing one as we've been talking. We got one so far. And I have to do it. I'm supposed to be doing a top 50 midseason prospects re-ranking, but life won't stop moving enough for me to do that between trades and other stuff. I mean, whatever. It's the job. I'll get it done. I think it's running Monday. All right. On Twitter, Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.